Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the New Ice City Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, coming to you for the first time officially now that the 22-23 NHL season is underway. The Rangers played their home opener on Tuesday night, a 3-1 win over the Tampa Bay Lightning. We're going to talk a bunch about that game in just a moment. I do want to quickly mention this week's guest. We have Jeff Merrick. A lot of you know him from Sportsnet. He has his own show up in Canada. It's a daily radio show, also a podcast. And of course, he's the co-host for the 32 Thoughts podcast, which I know is a podcast a lot of us listen to, myself included. Uh, Him and Elliot Friedman host that one. Definitely one of, uh, I would say, the better podcasts out there if you're looking for like a full league-wide perspective. And Jeff is a guy that we've come in contact a couple times in the last year, and I've gone on his show, and so I reached out to him to ask if he wanted to come on this show this week so that we could talk not only about the Rangers, but also about the league. I wanted somebody who, who could kind of preview who the favorites are, what the rest of the league is looking like going into this new season, as well as pick his brain. You'll hear a little bit at the end of that interview about, yes, some rumors and some possible trade stuff and some possible stuff looking ahead to the trade deadline because Jeff is very much plugged in on all of that. So you'll hear that interview with Jeff in just a little bit, but let's start with the Rangers. That's what this show is all about. And they played their first game at Madison Square Garden on Tuesday night. That was last night for me. I'm recording this on Wednesday. I got back from practice a couple hours ago. And the vibes around the team right now, as you might expect, coming off of a 3-1 to one win over the three-time defending Eastern Conference champions, Of course, the team that knocked the Rangers out in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Rangers, listen, they are being very careful about this. The guys in the locker room, I spent a lot of time in the locker room today. They don't want to get ahead of themselves, and they're certainly being careful about not pounding their chest or making any big declarations off of what ultimately is just one win out of 82 games. A lot of guys use that cliche, especially the captain, Jacob Truba, made sure to get that message across post-game on Tuesday night. But as Ryan Lindgren told me today, and Chris Kreider, Chris Kreider called it the template for success, is what we saw from the Rangers on Tuesday night. And what that means is you really could not find a weakness about the way that they played in that game. Now, maybe you could nitpick a guy here or a guy there. But overall, if you're looking at the team effort that the Rangers put in, there's a whole lot to like. Last year, as we know, as we talked about on this podcast, I don't know how many different times, this team, especially prior to the trade deadline, was very reliant on two things. That was goaltending and that was special teams. Special teams is where a lot of their star players like Panarin and Zabanajad and Kreider did a lot of their damage. So that's where a lot of the Rangers offense came from. Their penalty kill was also top 10 in the league. And they had what we know turned out to be the best goalie in the entire league in Igor Shesterkin, who won the Vesna Trophy last year to reward him for those efforts. Those were the key ingredients for the Rangers last season. That's why they had such a good regular season. That's what got them to the playoffs. And then by the time the playoffs came around, 
particularly after they made some really important additions at the trade deadline, we saw things start to turn. I know a lot of you that like to look at the advanced stats, that like to look at the analytics, will point out that prior to the trade deadline, the Rangers ranked as one of the worst teams in the league as far as expected goal rates are concerned and scoring chances and a lot of things like that. After the trade deadline and then into the playoffs, the Rangers were one of the better teams in the league in a lot of those categories. So I know a question on my mind and a question on on a lot of your minds was, which Rangers team are we going to see? Are we going to see the Rangers team that struggled at five on five for a big portion of the season last year? Or are we going to see the Rangers team that took off after the trade deadline and went on that memorable playoff run? Well, It's only one game, but based on the one game, that's all that we can talk about on this day as I sit here Wednesday and they've only played one. Based on that one game, it looks like that momentum is carrying over. Now, we can we can rattle off some stats here, but I think the the main point is that pretty much every statistical category the Rangers won and the eye test told you the same thing. Anybody who watched that game came away thinking that the Rangers looked like the better team. Now, you could look at the shot totals. The Rangers ended up with 39 shots on goal. They only allowed 27. Now, how many times last year did we come away saying the opposite thing, where the Rangers had been wildly outshot and Shesterkin had a stand on his head to help them pull out a game or keep them in the game? That was not the case on Tuesday night. The Rangers outhit them. That's not uncommon. They did that a lot that season. But they were definitely, in my opinion, the more physical team on Tuesday. You look at the takeaways. The Rangers produced 19 takeaways. I thought a lot of guys were really active, getting into passing lanes, creating turnovers. And yet, on the other hand, Tampa only created eight takeaways of their own. So the Rangers managed the puck better than the Lightning did. You look at faceoffs. And now this is this is a glaring one for a lot of you because I've been hearing the complaints that are justified for years about the Rangers being a team that would consistently get killed on the faceoff dot. And that was not the case on Tuesday night. The Rangers went 30 for 47. That's a 64% win rate. That is, you're not going to expect that every night, certainly, but that is a really, really encouraging sign for the Rangers. And part of that credit has to go to Vincent Trocheck, who I thought after a preseason where he didn't look great, he didn't jump out at you, and he even told me when I, I spoke to him Saturday night on Long Island after the Rangers' final preseason game, he he was kind of a little down about the way he was playing and was being critical of some mistakes he had made. I don't think he felt great about his preseason But I thought he looked much more comfortable, much more like the player you thought you were getting when the Rangers signed him to that seven-year deal in the offseason. I thought Trocek had a good game, really good on the faceoff dot. Ryan Carpenter they brought in to play on the fourth line. One of the reasons that they stated was because of faceoffs. He was solid there. Mika continues to do really well. And even Hedl had a decent night with faceoffs. So up and down the lineup, the Rangers did really good with faceoffs, which helped them generate more possession time, more offensive zone time. And then you look at the advanced stats. I'll read off ClearSight Analytics, which we know is run by a friend of the podcast, Steve Valaket. The Rangers end up with 12 high danger scoring chances, and they only allowed four. And I have to tell you that of all the things that Gerard Gallant seemed happy with after the game, It was the defense, specifically that ability to limit the chances from the slot, which we saw the Rangers get killed on plenty of times last season. Now, Igor stopped a lot of those, but they were giving up way too many quality looks from the slot in particular last season. Also, those net front areas, anywhere really around the net would register as a high danger scoring chance. The Rangers did a good job of keeping the Lightning for the most part on the outside and not letting them cause a lot of chaos and traffic in front of Igor. And Gallant was very, very pleased about that. He made a point of bringing it up after the game. And I spoke to some guys about it after after practice today as well. And the feeling in the room is that everybody is evolving. Everybody is maturing. Everybody understands the way that Gallant wants them to play 
much better now than they did at this point last season. That's kind of an obvious statement, but it's important. And so I think they're all feeling really comfortable about the way that they have to play to find success. And as Lindgren said to me today, they saw the recipe on Tuesday night. So a really, really encouraging game for the Rangers. Mika Zibanejad, I wrote this week, one of my 10 predictions for the season was that Mika will eclipse 90 points, which he has not yet done in his career, and that he will challenge Artemi Panarin to be the leading scorer on this team. To me, this, I don't know if you would call this a hot take or not. Some people probably agree with me, but it, it might sound crazy because the last three years, in my opinion, in front of Igor Shosturkin, who now I think we all believe is the most important player on this team, as far as the skaters go, Artemi Panarin was the most dynamic, the most important player, the most valuable player for the Rangers. He was a Hart finalist his first season here. He's been their leading scorer three years in a row. In a lot of ways, he has been their driving force, and he still remains a very, very good player. He's he's obviously still could end up in that heart conversation. Having him and Mika gives the Rangers a one-two punch that I think helps them work their way into that conversation as one of the top teams in the league. But my feeling at this moment, and I started feeling like this last season, especially during the playoffs, and I found myself thinking this quite a bit during training camp, I think Mika is now the most important player in front of Igor on this team. Part of that is because he plays center. Center is more of a premium position. There's more responsibility there. He is the top line center for a team with Stanley Cup aspirations. So a lot of weight is falling on his shoulders right now. You think about the two-way ability as well. Mika, I think, is more of a valuable defensive player than Panarin is. We know he's a penalty killer, which Panarin is not. But on top of all that, I just think the confidence that Mika is playing with, and you guys heard him talk about this in that clip that I played on the pod a few weeks ago, the, the mental side of things that he had to get to during the playoffs that he overcame last year, particularly in that Pittsburgh series while going head-to-head with Sidney Crosby. This is a guy who now fully believes and is playing like he fully believes that he can be the best player on the ice pretty much against anybody. Obviously, you know, we could talk about Connor McDavid and we could throw some of the big names in the league out there. Mika isn't quite at that level, but I think that he is now the most important skater, the most valuable skater on this Rangers team. And that is in part because of the two-way game, in part because of the position that he plays. And I also think it would not surprise me to see this guy end up as the team's leading scorer this season. We know what a great goal scorer he can be. Think back to that 1920 season right before COVID hit when he was on an absolute tear. He scored, I believe it was 41 goals in 70 games. He might have played a few less than that. So he was on an absolutely torrid pace that season. We've seen what he can do when he gets hot as a goal scorer. And then what we saw last season was a career high in assists. He had 52 assists last season. So you combine a guy who can score the way Mika can and just just go and look at that first goal that he scored, the shorthanded goal that he produced to get the Rangers on the board on opening night where he does that left leg lift that kind of, it's a little deception for the goalie. I want to ask him actually, is that, is that about deceiving the goalie or is that like a balance thing for him? I wonder why exactly he does that, but he does that left leg lift and then he just roofs a backhander, puts it perfectly under the bar, could not have placed it any better if he walked it there and, and gets the Rangers on the board. I mean, the skill is tremendous. The goal scoring ability is tremendous. And you combine that with all the other aspects of his game and you look at how he's becoming a better passer and a better facilitator. I believe especially this year playing with Capo Caco on that line. I, I had a conversation with Chris Kreider about this. I'll give you guys a little tease here. That's what I'm writing for my early column going into Thursday's game is a story about what Mika and Chris Kreider are, are doing and saying to Capo behind the scenes to try to encourage him, especially to shoot more. 
So I, I just think there's all these ingredients that are, are leading up to what could be a really big year for Mika Zibanejad. And to me, Panarin's a great player, a dynamic player, a more skilled player overall, I would say, than Mika. But again, when you're talking about overall value, to me, it's reached the point now where I, I think going into this season, I'm looking at, at Mika as the guy who has to be the driving force as far as the skaters are concerned for the Rangers to get to where they want to be. So that's my that's my little side note, my little rant uh, on that. But Mika had a tremendous opening night, scores two goals, was the best player on the ice as far as the skaters were concerned. And the Rangers roll. Now, <laughs> this is not to say that everything is perfect or that there aren't going to be speed bumps over the course of the season. But you have to feel really good about what you saw on opening night. And again, checking all those boxes the way that they did, playing the complete game in the manner that they did, that's something that is very encouraging. And that's all you could ask for at this point in the season. There's there's a long, long way to go. 81 more of these that we'll get to talk about. But it was a fun opening night. The garden was popping People were into it. I know they had the Yankee game going on simultaneously. They did show the Anthony Rizzo home run up on the big board, which got the crowd going. Not quite as much as it got the crowd going when they showed Henrik Lundqvist up on the big board, but exciting time for sports right now, and the Rangers are just beginning. Now, the this one sour note to come out of opening night was Vitaly Kratsov. He, he was pretty active on his first couple shifts. Some good stuff, some bad stuff, but... He ends up taking that hit along the boards from Victor Hedman, who I knew Hedman's a big dude. I've stood next to him before, but I looked it up while I was writing about Kratzoff's injury. The dude's six foot seven, 244 pounds. That is a big, big man. And while Kratzoff is big, he, he weighs less than 200 pounds, but he's like six foot three. He's a tall guy. He is, he is nowhere near in the Hedman realm, and Heldman crunched him along the boards. And you could tell right away that the way that Kratzoff came up, he was hunched over, looked like he was favoring something. At first, I was wondering if it was like an arm or a shoulder injury or something like that. The Rangers are calling it upper body. He went right to the locker room, did not return. He did not practice on Wednesday, and he will not be joining the Rangers on this trip that they're about to embark on, where they'll be playing back-to-back games on Thursday and Friday in Minnesota and Winnipeg. So Kratzoff, we know for sure, won't play in the next two games. Kind of an unfortunate start for him because after it looked like he was maybe going to be scratched on opening night, the Rangers had a change of heart and ended up starting him on the second line, which is the spot where he started camp for opening night. So after some turbulence, he ended up landing in the spot where I know he wanted to be and I know a lot of you wanted to see him get a chance at I do believe, as a side note, that there was a lot of internal debate about that. I think between the coaching staff and management, there were some people that wanted to see him get that top six opportunity right out of the bat just to see what he did with it. But there were other people that felt like maybe he didn't quite earn that during camp. So I I think there was a little bit of back and forth as far as that decision was concerned. But Kratzoff came out on the second line, only lasted about a minute and a half in terms of ice time before he got injured. And now we know he's going to be out for at least two games. So with that, the Rangers are reconfiguring their lineup. What we saw on Tuesday, and again, what we saw in practice on Wednesday, so I do believe this is what you'll see Thursday night, was the top line stays intact with Kreider, Zabanajad, and Kako. Alexi Lafreniere now moves to right wing, which we've talked about I don't know how many times now, to play on that second line with Panarin and Trocek. I thought they looked pretty pretty solid on Tuesday. It's going to remain that way for Thursday's game, it looks like. The third line now has Jimmy Vesey, Philip Heedle, and Barclay Goudreau. And actually, if you look at some of the advanced statistics, that in a lot of ways was the Rangers' best line. I mean, I don't actually think it was their best line on Tuesday, but statistically they look pretty good. So Gallant said he liked what he saw from them, and he's going to stick with that line as the third line, quote-unquote. And then the fourth line is going to be, at least for Thursday's game, it looks like, Dryden Hunt will make his season debut, Ryan Carpenter in the middle, and Ryan Reeves at right wing. So the Rangers ended up keeping a full 23-man roster 
so that they didn't have to waive Hunt. And right now they need him because Kratzoff is hurt and Sammy Blay, while he returned to practice on Wednesday, still has not been fully cleared to play. It does not sound like he's going to play on Thursday, but he will be going with the team on the trip. So he's a possibility for Friday. I, I wouldn't rule it out completely, but we have no confirmation at this point, so we'll have to wait and see on that. But but that is the status of the Rangers' injuries and of their lineup right now as we look ahead to that Thursday game against the Wild. So with that, we, we've talked a bunch about what we saw on opening night. We've talked about the injuries, the lineup, what to expect on Thursday. Let's get to our interview with Jeff Merrick, and then I'll be back after we're done with that to hit on a few more of your questions. Now let's welcome in a special guest who is going to help us not only talk some Rangers, but also bounce around the NHL a little bit, get a real feel for what to expect in this 22-23 season. That would be Jeff Merrick. He is an NHL reporter for Sportsnet, also hosts the Jeff Merrick Show, as well as the co-host of 32 Thoughts. I'm sure you guys have heard this guy before. Jeff, how are you doing? How is everything feeling now that we have a new season upon us? It's nice that we're, and again, I knock on wood when I say this, fans, heading into what should be a normal season. Like, it's nice to have after three years, like some normalcy in all of our lives. I'm sure you're feeling it going into dressing rooms now and actually talking to people. I had the, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started this off air, just like people are just sort of happy to be around one another uh, in hockey right now. I felt that at the Players Tour in both Paris and, and Vegas, that people are in good moods right now. Um, none of the players hate us yet, Vince. So everyone is still in a, is still in a good mood about everything. We haven't offended anybody at this point, so it's a it's a good time right now, Vince. It's a good time. Yeah, I mean the Rangers are one and zero, so it's it's hard for me to write anything critical or piss anybody off quite yet. <laughs> but, but, uh, how does Zabanajad? How does Zabanajad miss that empty netter? Yeah, I, uh, you know the hat. He should have had the hat trick last night. So anyway, Jeff. Well, listen. L- last time we spoke, yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Rangers before free agency and we were discussing what would happen with Ryan Strom, what would happen with Andrew Kopp and and some of their unrestricted free agents. Now I do want to get to some league wide stuff, but let's start with the Rangers. They let all those UFAs that they had go. They bring in Vincent Trocheck. We know they have a very limited salary cap situation. How do you assess their off season and the state of what you see from this roster right now. It's a better team. Like last season was like, I know, you know, the, uh, the, the big knock against the Rangers was that they were relying too much on their goaltending, certainly early. And they sort of corrected that chip post post trade deadline. And it became a more well-balanced team. But I think overall, this is now a more well-balanced team. It's an entertaining team. It's a team that can score. Uh, it's a team that even as we saw on, on the opening night is a team that isn't shy about, playing physical we know that Gerard Glantz you know more than anything as a coach you, know, you ask him you know what's what what do you hate the most about 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 coaching he says well my team gets pushed around I really hate it Rangers are not going to be pushed around so this is I think this is a better team than we saw last season and it's a more well-balanced team than we saw last season which is probably music to the ears of Igor Shosturkin because he won't be uh you know left there to try to, to try to save games for the Rangers as he, as he was asked to do in the, in the early part of last season. It's interesting because they did lose three of their top six forwards in Cop, Vetrano, and Strom all gone. The only guy they bring in who, who slots into the top six is Trocek. But yeah. what yep. I think a lot of us are anticipating and seeing already, does, especially from it, camp, is the young guys. Now Kaka moving it. up, Lafreniere moving up. Like Keandre Miller looks like he's in for a big year, in my opinion. So a lot of these young guys, I think that is what kind of the season is riding on as far as the team possibly taking the next step. We said this about the Rangers last season. They are going to be, you know, they're not going to actualize as a consistent, you know, elite playoff team unless some of those kids start taking jobs. You know, unless, you know, Philip Heedle and Capocacco and Alexi Lafreniere, they need to start taking jobs higher in the lineup. Like, that's a best-case scenario for the New York Rangers. They let go of all those players you talked about, and it's because, you know, not because, because you know, they, they walked for greener pastures, but there are younger kids ready to take their spots. That is a best case scenario 
for the Rangers because now those kids start to complement the Panarins and the Criders and the Zabanajads and all and Vincent Trocek who comes in as a veteran is going to fit nice on the power play uh, as well. That is a, a a best case scenario here for the New York Rangers. That's something that you shouldn't look back on and say, "Well, we lost all these guys." No, our kids took their jobs. That's great. And and we saw it work pretty well in the opener on Tuesday against the Lightning. The, the Rangers last season, especially in the first half of the year, were very reliant on their goaltending and their special teams. Now, both of those things were really good on Tuesday, but they were good across the board. You look at the shot totals, you look at the scoring chances, you look at the face-offs, which was a problem area for them last year. I mean, they won in pretty much every category. So, you know, we don't want to overreact to one game, but things look really good in the opener. I'm curious, do you have concerns when you look at this team and look at this roster? Well, I'll tell you what, but before we get there, can I just add one thing as well? And I know yeah, sure. t- t- Tampa's played a lot of hockey in the last three seasons and they're, they're still a little bit dinged up. And, you know, you can see like, you know, did Braden Point really look himself in that opening game? And you can make the argument no. But the Rangers look like significantly faster than Tampa. Like there is that element, like, you know, the, 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 the Rangers when Lundqvist was playing like in some of the glory years, like their left side specifically was really quick. And the whole Rangers, you know, a lot of the offense or a lot of the breakout was just like lob pucks behind the defenseman and create foot races on the left side. And the Rangers would, would win those races, right? It was, you know, Hagelin and Kreider and Rick Nash. Like that was the way they did it. But this is like everybody, like I'm watching this in game one, Vince. It's like everybody's faster than everybody on Tampa. And again, is only one game. And I know what the Rangers, like, I know we were saying about the Rangers after the first game last season when they, you know, we expected fireworks against the Washington Capitals, and instead the Capitals just tr- trounced mm-hmm. uh, the New York Rangers on on, on opening night uh, last season. But this is a team that looks real quick. As far as you know, as far as concerns, you know, I I, I kind of don't like not right now. Like we'll see how the entire you know season shakes out. But if I'm if I'm the New York Rangers. I'm feeling really good about what I have. Uh, I'm concerned about keeping everything healthy, keeping the development going. Um, and right now, I mean, no team is perfect. You can always improve uh, any team. But, you know, I think there's a reason why a lot of people are saying that this Rangers team already is good enough to win the East. Well, so you mentioned the East, but let's start with the Metro here. Sure. This division, it's deep. I mean, they're really Philly. I think people have a lot of questions about, but Columbus got better. Jersey got better. You know, you have established teams like Pittsburgh and Washington. I mean, Carolina to me feels like they still are probably the biggest threat to the Rangers, but, but how do you size up this division? Yeah. I see the two top teams being the Rangers and Carolina. Um, I do wonder about the Islanders. They haven't made moves. I mean, there are a lot of, they don't, I, mean, I don't think the Islanders would want to use, you know, the schedule and COVID um, and injuries as an excuse, but they are, you know, those things are, you know, legitimate reasons uh, why we saw the Islanders end up uh, where the Islanders ended up. And, you know, I, I, I don't know how much more we should expect out of essentially the same team plus one year older. Um, so I'll, I'll put the Islanders there. The, the one thing I do wonder about, I think we all do fans is at what point, does age you know the ultimate authority you know the ultimate trump card like at what point does age catch up to the washington capitals and are they there right now at what point does age catch up to the pittsburgh penguins and are they there right now even though they've gone out of their way to 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 keep the band together and take a few more swings at this thing while Sidney crosby is still a member of the squad I, i wonder about those two teams and at what point age catches up. But listen, Columbus has gotten better. Uh, how better? You know, I, I think that I want to see some more consistent goaltending out of Columbus until I'm going to make them, uh, anoint them a new playoff team. Uh, I think Philadelphia, like listen, the Couturier and Ellis uh, situation, specifically Ellis is going to scotch the entire season. Like that's, that's disaster. Like that's, that's, that's really tough uh, for that squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'll be decisions to make. I mean, Travis Konechny is a free agent, and he will be one of, if not, you know, the most sought-after blue liner come free agency. Uh, they're going to have to, you know, do something there. I, th- I know that they don't want to be in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes, 
And I know John Tortorella teams always play hard. I just don't know if there's enough, you know, with all the injuries, um, I don't know if there's enough talent there to be, to be a playoff team. I do like New Jersey. Like if you look at all the underlying numbers, all New, Jer- New Jersey was a really good team that got undone because the goaltender couldn't make a save. The only question there is, you know, can Mackenzie Blackwood find that form from a couple of seasons ago? And is Vitek Vanacek better than Washington thought he was? Um, so I, I, I kind of put them as a team that I could see sneaking into the playoffs and maybe surprising, uh, surprising some, uh, some observers and surprising some other teams. But as far as class of the division go, right out of the, goes right out of the gate. This is the Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Division. So those are the, in my estimation, again, we've only played, seen one game from the Rangers, and Wednesday night we'll see Carolina. Um, I, I still think those are the two top teams in the division. Yeah, I'm definitely on the same page with you there. To, to me, though, as far as who gets in the playoffs, the only team that would surprise me is Philly. Anybody else in that division, I could I could envision a scenario where, where they get in. And the Islanders, you mentioned, they're interesting. I know it's the same core. It's kind of boring. But we know all the problems they had with COVID last year. Like, if, if they're healthy for a full season, I don't see how yeah. you don't look at them as a threat. Like, I could see it going either way with them. It would not, it would not surprise me if they turn around and have a really good bounce-back year. As far as the East goes, is it still Tampa's to lose, or do you see otherwise? Oh no, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's Tampa's to lose. Are you talk about the Atlantic Division or the Eastern Conference. The conference. The conference. Uh, I never want to bet against Tampa, but then at a certain point, you say like, how many players can they lose? Like losing Ryan McDonough is tough. And by the way, he looks great with Matias Ekholm and Nashville. That might be the best shutdown pair in the NHL. That mm-hmm. uh, like right away, like good luck getting a shot on net when those two guys are are, are, are on the ice together. Um, and I think that Tampa is going to really miss Andre Palat more than they thought. Like it's hard to get a headline. I get it. You know, when you've got Stamkos and Kucherov and Vasilevsky and, and Hedman, like it's very seldom that people even got around to talking about Andre Palat. But I've always looked at him and said, you know, he's kind of a poor man's Marion Hosa. Like you throw them over the boards in any situation, Vince. It doesn't matter what period it is, what time of the game, what situation, who's got who on the ice. You know, it's a power play. It's a penalty kill. Like this guy plays all situations for you. And you had to let that guy go because of the salary cap. Like I, I know it's, it's you know, the, the realities of being a successful team and having to pay players. But I, I wonder if that's, you know, that that last move that finally, you know, that finally drags the Tampa Bay Lightning down amongst the mortals again. To say nothing, in fact, this is a team that's, you know, that's banged up. They've played a lot of hockey uh, in, the, in the last three seasons. Now, no one's going to feel bad for them because they've won two Stanley Cups in the process. But no, I don't think I don't think this is this is the, this is Tampa's to lose. I think the, the Maple Leafs are in the conversation. I think the Rangers are in the conversation. I think Carolina is in the conversation. And yes, of, of course, you have to put Tampa in there because I don't know if there's a team out there that sacrifices the way that Tampa does come playoff time. But uh, I don't think this is, I don't think this is like Colorado in the West where everyone's saying, yeah, we can see a repeat going away. I still think that there's, you know, uh, there's a handful of teams here that can, that can win the Eastern Conference. Florida is a team that has me curious as well. I know people are down on them because they flamed out last year, but I'm curious to see what they become. Yeah, you and me both. Uh, I think that, you know, it's interesting when Bill Zito took over, you know, the Florida Panthers had the reputation of being too easy to play against. Like that was what everybody said around the NHL. Yeah, there's skill there, but they're, they're really easy to play against. Like you play against Florida, you know, you don't even need, you know, you don't need ice after the game. You know, they're not going to bruise anybody. And so right away, you know, Zito went about making this team tougher to play against. Like, I think, was it Horn, Patrick Hornquist, the first move that he made? He brings in Patrick Hornquist. And then his players like Radko Gudis and Ryan Lomberg. And now you bring in Matthew Kachuk, who's just such a nasty bit of business to play against. And I know that you don't want to just make, construct your team around beating one squad. But I kind of look at, you know, the Matthew Kachuk move and say, I wonder if they're thinking, you know, if we're going to do anything in the playoffs, we've got to beat Tampa mm-hmm. and we need, we need snarlier players. It's wonderful having a, you know, seductive skill like Jonathan Huberto brought, 
but we need someone with dirt under their fingernails. And that's why they made the Matthew Kachuk deal. Um, but I think the one player there that they really end up missing is Mackenzie Weger. Because, you know, I just mentioned Ryan McDonough and Matias Ekholm a second ago as maybe being the best shutdown uh, pair in the NHL. You could also make the argument that, you know, until they were, they were split up, Mackenzie Weger and Aaron Ekblad might have been that pair. I think that the, the Florida defense really took a hit this offseason with that trade. Like, don't get me wrong. I like Gustav Forslund. I like him a lot. But I loved Mackenzie Weger playing with Aaron Ekblad. That, that pair was elite. And there's only, you know, uh, uh, a couple of elite pairs uh, on the blue line in the NHL. You know, when, when McAvoy's healthy, it's him and Hampus Lindholm. It's Kale McCarr and Devon Taves. Um, I think it's the top pair in Calgary, and I think it was the top pair with the Florida Panthers. Mm-hmm. Now that now that's gone. Last thing league wide here, yep. do you, to the Avs. You know we know how good they are. We all saw it in the playoffs last year. Are are they in your eyes the the hands down favorite? Or is there another team that you like? I don't know if you if you did a, a big prediction or anything, or you don't want to spill the beans here, but maybe a sleeper team. I mean, how, how do you assess the, the, the I, full league picture here? I, I I still think the Colorado was a team to beat. Did they come back down to the pack a little bit? Yes, uh, by losing Nazem Kadri, and I think that they'll miss Andre Burakovsky as well. I, I I don't think we should we should sleep on how much. Uh, Burkowski meant to this team. But the thing about the Avalanche is like, I think we're all interested to see how Alex Newhook fares uh, in a second line center capacity. And if it doesn't, or even if it does, you know, I don't think that the Avalanche are just going to sit on their hands all season long. Like, I think this is a team that's, that's going to make moves come trade deadline time. Um, They are in win now mode. You know, this is their last year with Nathan McKinnon under a reasonable contract until he becomes the highest paid player in the National Hockey League by way of AAV. Um, You know, I don't think any of us would be surprised, Vince, if, you know, at the end of trade deadline, Jonathan Taves is a member of the Avs or Patrick Kane is a member of the Avs. Like, like this is this is an aggressive front office. Like, it, it, it really is. And, you know, you talk to any of those players after the win. They're like, yeah, that's great. We want more. Like, they're not just a, a one and done team. Like, this is a team that sees itself as a as a perennial threat for the uh, for the Stanley Cup, and there's there's no reason to believe otherwise. I think the only concern that you might have is how is I mean, you can speak to this with more authority than I can. You watched him play with the Rangers. Is how good can Georgiev be? And there's a big difference between being a backup and being a starting netminder. Not just physically, but more psychologically as well. Is he ready to handle that? Even though knowing that Colorado has already demonstrated they don't need an elite level goaltender to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, Georgiev is an interesting one to me because I've talked to people that know more about goalies than me who are high on him from, you know, as far as technique and, and the way that he prepares and all that. Yep. My opinion from watching him in, in, with the Rangers is that. When he got consistent playing time, he was solid. He was pretty good. What the sporadic stuff, the backup work, really, he did not respond well to that. When he was asked to only start once a week, he he, he right. struggled with that a lot. So, I, consistent playing time, I think, is important for him. Is he going to be a top level goalie? I'm not so sure about that. But do, does Colorado need that? I'm also not so sure about that. When you already no, have they don't. maybe two of the five best players in the league in McCarr and McKinnon, so. Yep. I think I, to me, Colorado still looks like the favorite, but I, I think it's interesting. There are teams emerging. The Rangers are certainly one of them. Y- you touched on it. So I'm going to get you out of here on this one because I can't tell you of all the topics that I get. And we, su- we let fans submit questions for the podcast every week. And yeah. the most frequent question, even at this stage, a lot of times has to do with the trade deadline and more, more often than not, it's Patrick Kane being thro- thrown out there <laughs> as a rumor for the Rangers. Now here's, here's my quick position on this. The, sure. the Rangers, if you look, they, they went into the season with a 23-man roster. I believe they're going to try to get down to 22 as soon as they can because they want to accrue as much cap space as they can going toward yep. the deadline. We saw the way that Drury utilized that last year and what an impact it made. But right now, with the cap situation they're in, they're only projected to have like 800000 in cap space at the deadline. If they get down to 22, that number probably ends up more like three to 4 million, they could maybe fudge it a little bit higher, but I'm, I'm looking at, they'll probably have about three to 4 million in cap space come the deadline. 
Even yeah. if Chicago retains half of Patrick Kane, that's still not enough to squeeze it unless they're sending salary back. So I think Kane is more of a long shot than maybe people think right now. Anything can happen, of course. But I'm curious for your perspective on that, as well as when you look at the Rangers right now, to me, the one area I think they're going to want to address is it still feels like they may be one top nine forward short. And I think that at the deadline, that's probably what they target. So I don't know if there are other forwards who jump out to you that might be a little bit cheaper than even half of Kane's salary that could be an option or anything that comes to mind for you as far as like projecting what might be a possibility at the trade deadline. I know it's early. You could tell me it's too early and I'm crazy for no, asking. No, 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 no. It's not too early. No, no, no. It's not because you're right. Like all these conversations are are being had and, you know, the conversations between, you know, Pat Persson and Kyle Davidson uh, have, have happened as well about, you know, what the player wants to do, where does he want to go, what's he interested in. I think that what Kane is, you know, is going to do for the first couple of months of the season is, you know, see who emerges as the top teams and then make his decision based on that. Now, there's, there's one thing that for your listeners, I, w- I want to throw out there or further to you were talking about the, the cap crunch and even if Chicago eats half and they would in any Kane deal, you can be pretty much assured that the Chicago Blackhawks are, are going to eat half of it. Um, I look at Pat Kane and I say, considering he's only going to go to a top contender and that means there's not going to be a lot of salary cap room to fit him in. A, any Pat Kane deal to me sounds like a three team trade where two teams retain salary and, you know, the third team ends up with the player. So I don't know if Chicago uses, and I'll, I'll just take the obvious example, uses Arizona, you know, as a, uh, as a, as a, as a, as a temporary on paper holding spot for Patrick Kane, just long enough for, for Arizona to, to hold some money before he gets moved uh, to the New York Rangers. And then they get a cookie on the way back. Uh, I think we can all see that. And that's probably Vince. When I the more that I think about it, maybe the only way that you get a Patrick Kane deal done, like you know Edmonton, you know was rumored to be interested in Pat Kane in the off season, but that was going to take uh, a third team to make it happen as well. So I think if there's a Kane deal that's made here, you know if you're a Rangers fan, you know don't just look at the hold on a second here we can't fit him under the cap even if Chicago eats half. Yes, you can, provided there's a third team involved in the trade. Uh, are there are there other names that you're already kind of eyeing that on teams that might be looking to sell at the deadline forwards that might be a little bit cheaper who you think, you know, could be guys that, that you'd be curious about? Like, you know, I wonder, for example, I, I know Detroit seems to be going for it more and I, I know they have fairly high hopes, but like Tyler Bertuzzi's a guy like he's on an expiring contract. Is there any chance that they would entertain dealing him? There are some other guys in Chicago's roster. I think you could look at, I mean, if you bounce around the league, it feels like there might be, you know, you know, other names are going to emerge over the course of the season. Yeah. I think that's uh, and again, just because it's Montreal. And so it'll always be a, a major headline. You wonder what happens next. You know, I, I wonder, you know, Jonathan Duran scratched against the, the Toronto Maple Leafs Wednesday night. You know, I wonder if that's a name, that you know is would uh, that the the New York Rangers would be interested in, uh, should the Montreal Canadiens decide to you know aggressively move him out if him and his agent you know want out uh, at at, uh, at this point, um, you know that would be one. I think that there's some you know I think I, I still I, I still want I still do wonder, and I don't necessarily think it's a, a fit now considering what. Uh, players are going to have to get paid on this Rangers team right now. And this player has a lengthy contract after this season. Uh, I, I still do wonder about JT Miller. I really do. Like what happens if Vancouver, you know, bows out of the race by the time December rolls around, you know, how active they start to get. Uh, the, the only thing with that is that contract, you know, how long it is for the Rangers. That's, like looking, that's looking what I'm saying. Next I, year, I, yeah, that would be tough. I, I, I don't necessarily think it's one for the Rangers, but as far as, you know, players that we're looking at right now and saying, well, maybe, you know, if, if, if things go south for their team, like, listen, I think the, I think the Philadelphia Flyers, um, if they have the horrible start, I don't think that Chuck Fletcher is going to have you know, any other choice, but to finally say like, okay, maybe it is time, you know, for Travis Konechny to end up somewhere else. 
You know, I think those conversations will be had, but I think everyone wants to see first, you know, who are the, who are the bad teams? Who are the teams that bow out of it by November? And those are the teams that uh, that other, you know, established teams that are heading to the playoffs will, will certainly pounce on. Yeah. That, that is the biggest thing. We have to see how the first few months play out. Who's a contender, yeah. who's a pretender, and then who decides to sell. And then that'll give you a much clearer picture of which names might be available. I, I just, my, I guess my thing is, I don't think it's Kane or bust for the Rangers. I think the Rangers are definitely going to want to get somebody. I think there's a lot of reasons that they would be interested in Kane. It could be difficult to pull off. So I'm sure they're going to explore a lot of options. And, and I figured since you mentioned the deadline, I'd, I'd pick your brain on that a little bit, but, but Jeff, yeah. I've taken, I've taken a lot of your time. I really, really That's appreciate fine. it. Definitely check them out on Sportsnet. Check them out on 32 Thoughts with Elliot Friedman. Uh, does a lot of great stuff. I love listening to him myself. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on, Jeff. And hopefully we'll connect again sometime soon. You're the best, Vince. Thanks so much for this, pal. Check back anytime. All right. That was a really fun conversation with Jeff. I appreciate him doing it. I believe he was in the car. If you couldn't tell if the audio quality was a little shaky, I think it was it was doable. But if you couldn't tell he was in the car, he was on his way to pick up his daughter and then they were doing a birthday thing for her tonight. So I really appreciate him squeezing me in there. He, he's he very gracious with his time. And when I reached out, he immediately said happy to do it. So that was really cool of him. And from that conversation, I know a lot of you are going to be probably talking or chatting about what he said at the end in regards to the Rangers possibly pursuing Patrick Kane at the trade deadline. I mentioned a few names in a story that I wrote this week that could also be on the radar. I think, as I've mentioned a few times now, the Rangers are going to cast a wide net at the trade deadline. And as Jeff and I just said, a lot of it's going to depend on which teams fall out of the playoff race. So I think there's going to be a lot of balls in the air just as there were last year. But on the Kane thing specifically, to hear Jeff mention the possibility of a three-team trade being the only way that it gets done, that makes a lot of sense to me. And you have to think that if the Rangers are going to be able to pull this off, given their cap situation, which again, I do not really see much of a way that they're going to be able to carve out, even if it's half of Kane's salary, which is $5.25 million, I don't think the Rangers are going to be able to accrue that much cap space. So in order to make that kind of a deal happen, they're not only going to need to accrue as much cap space as possible, which we think will maybe be around $4 million if they cut their roster down soon. The, the, the clock is already ticking on that. But even if they're able to get to $4 million or so, they, they would have to find another way to send salary elsewhere in, in some kind of deal, and that might be where you find another team come in because either the Rangers would have to trade somebody on their current roster, which I believe they probably wouldn't want to do in a, in a deal like that because at the trade deadline, they would be looking to add, not subtract. And then the other option that Jeff touched on is you find another team, probably going to be a bottom-feeding kind of team with a lot of cap space. There's not too many of those but find another team along those lines that would maybe take another chunk of Kane's salary if you send them a draft pick or a prospect. So it's complicated. I don't think it's going to be easy. I still think it's under 50% that the Rangers end up being the team that gets him. I've heard just in talking to a few people in the last handful of days that the Edmonton Oilers are a team that it sounds like would be very interested if Kane were to come available. It also sounds like the Islanders, although it's hard to know for sure what Lou Lamorello is thinking and doing, but I know Pierre Lebrun has put that out there. The Islanders could be a team that would be interested. And, and I do believe the Rangers would have interest. I just don't think they're going to be solely focused on him and there would be a lot of hurdles for them to clear to get that deal done. So we're not going to spend too much time on that. Let's get to some other questions here. And we're going to start with one from Jeffrey Brauner, who wrote, if Kratzoff is out for a bit, are there any waivers-exempt skill players in Hartford who might get a look? I think Gautier would ideally be the right call, but I don't see them bringing him up just to put him back on waivers so early in the season. Well, Jeffrey, for starters, the Rangers put Gautier on waivers this week 
We all knew that that was coming. He was not going to make this roster. That gives them 30 days before they'd have to pass him through waivers again. So in the next 30 days, if they want to call him up and send him back down at any point, they can do that without having to worry about the waiver wire. Are they going to do that? No, I do not think so. I honestly think when it comes to Gautier, they have kind of been there, done that, and don't feel like it's worth it at this point. Now, if he's absolutely lighting it up in Hartford, maybe they rethink that position. But the 23 that they have right now, including the 14 forwards that they have right now, those are the guys that they want to play the most. Over the course of the season, could Gautier maybe work his way back into that mix? I guess I couldn't completely rule it out, although I think it's doubtful. I think it's more likely that later on in the season you see whichever prospect is playing best in Hartford, maybe get a chance at a call-up, whether that's Gustav Ridal, whether that's Will Cooley, whether that's Bobby Trevino, someone along those lines, I think might be next in line if the Rangers felt like they needed to infuse this lineup. But right now, the problem is that they have one too many forwards on this roster, quite frankly. Now, they need it because of the Blay and Kratzoff injuries. But if Blay is able to return soon and Kratzoff's injury doesn't keep him out for too long, I think they need to, as soon as possible, look for a way to get this roster down to 22. That could be a trade in theory, although I think that's unlikely at this early point in the season. Most likely, it's going to have to be waving somebody, and I still, in the back of my mind, think that Dryden Hunt is the most likely guy. Now, they don't want to lose him, you're going to see they're going to plug him into the lineup on Thursday. He's a guy they're very comfortable with, especially if all it is is a fourth-line role in a pinch if they need it. They would have their fingers crossed that he would clear and they would be able to send him to Hartford and then recall him as needed. But right now, sitting at 23 men on the roster, their salary cap space is about 180000 And Based on the accrual process, we've talked about this multiply by four thing. If you multiply that number by four, going toward the trade deadline, the Rangers are only looking at a projection of like 800000 in salary cap space. That is not going to cut it. You guys want to talk about Patrick Kane or anybody else? That's not going to do it. They need to get down to 22. And as I've told you before, if they can get down to 22, the accrual process would end up giving them more like $4 million in cap space by the time they get to the deadline. So that has to be the goal as far as I'm concerned. And I do believe that that is what the Rangers feel internally. I just think they're buying a little time right now, waiting to see if maybe this shakes itself out on its own, if there's some kind of an injury or what have you in the next few days or a few weeks. But I really don't think they can afford to keep this 23-man roster going for more than a week or two. Because then you're starting to put a big dent into that potential accrual that you're hoping to get by the time the trade deadline rolls around. And that could be putting your team at a disadvantage when they're looking to bolster the roster come March 3rd, which is when the trade deadline is. So a couple people have asked, and I made my own mistake about this uh, in a tweet on Monday, I think it was. There's a difference between... IR, the injured reserve, and long-term IR, LTIR. You've seen teams like the Tampa Bay Lightning put guys on LTIR, and that does help them from a salary cap perspective and allows them to add guys without fear of going over the cap. But IR, while it does allow you to recall somebody, so if you put a guy on IR, you can move up to 24 guys and you can bring up another forward if, or, or defenseman or whatever it is that you need to make sure that you have a, a lineup that you can put out on the ice. So it, it, IR allows you to add another player, but the big but is, and I found this out this week in talking to a few people, you still then are charged for both the player that you call up and the player on IR. So there's no cap relief from putting a guy on injured reserve. It's a little 
It's a little screwy. It doesn't make all that much sense when you think about it, but basically putting a guy on IR does not help them from a salary cap perspective. Putting a guy on LTIR would, but there's nobody who they're looking at as a long-term injury right now. So in a nutshell, I don't think they're calling up Gautier. I don't think they're planning on calling anybody up at all right now. I think the goal is to reduce the roster by one person as soon as possible. All right, let's get to our next question. And this comes from Brew underscore Wit, who wrote, How often does Gallant play with different combinations on power play two? I'd love to see a Miller-Jones pairing at the points. I know that Jones got a shot quarterbacking when Truba sat at the end of the preseason, but does Miller get any power play practice reps? So far this preseason, I think maybe there was one day when Miller got a little bit of power play time, but for the most part, the answer is no. I do remember him getting some looks last season, but as far as defensemen that the Rangers want to use on the power play right now, the pecking order definitely seems to be Fox number one, Truba number two, Jones number three. I think there's a few reasons for that. I think Truba, I know people are critical of his spot there, but what the Rangers value most from him on the power play, more than him playing the point, because if you watch the way, and you guys haven't seen a whole lot of power play too because they don't get much ice time, but what we see in practice at least, if you watch the way that they move, Truba doesn't function as a power play quarterback in the same way that Fox does, meaning the puck isn't on his stick a lot. He's not necessarily the main facilitator. Truba sort of drifts to his left, toward that left circle, to set up the one-timer with his right-handed shot. And that is what I know Gallant likes the most about him. Gallant has said this before. He uses the phrase, Truba pounds the puck. He wants him to be a guy that when he's winding up for a big slap shot, he's striking fear into the heart of the opponents that are standing in front of him. And he's powering some pucks down toward the goalie, trying to create some chaos there, maybe get a tip, a deflection, a rebound, what have you. So they want Truba specifically on that second unit to use that big right-handed shot, which a lot of guys on the team will tell you is the, the quote-unquote heaviest shot on the team. And that's important to them because you look at the rest of that second power play unit, it is literally all left-handed shots. So they want a right-handed shot on that second unit, and that's why Truba is going to be the guy there. Now, Jones functions a little more like Fox, except from the left-handed side. He's a guy that is going to be able to dangle with the puck and dance around at the blue line and make some nifty passes. So Jones, I think, could play well off of Truba, but playing with Miller, I'm not sure how much of that works because they're both left-handed guys, and, and I don't know why you would want two defensemen out there that are both shooting from the same hand on the power play. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I think what you're going to see now with Kratzoff's injury is that Jones will take Kratzoff's spot on that second power play unit. Kratzoff was sort of like high on that right circle, sort of the half wall. So I think you're going to see Jones playing up high, running the point quite a bit, and then Truba to his left, which sets up Truba for the one-timer, and then the rest of that second power play unit is Hedl, Lafreniere, and Kako, with Lafreniere being the guy who looks like he's playing mostly at the net front. So that would be my prediction for the second power play unit with Kratzoff out. And while I get it, Miller, listen, you guys know I've been tooting Miller's horn all preseason. He has the ability to play there, no doubt about it. But you look at the stat sheet from game one, for example, He was second on the team in time on ice. He played over 23 minutes, and that was with no power play time at all. He's only playing at even strength five on five, and I think it's becoming becoming clear that at five on five, Gallant's preferred matchup pair, he's going to use both of the top pairs a lot, but his preferred matchup pair is starting to lean towards Miller-Truba. That is sort of morphing into the the, the pair that he wants to get the toughest assignments against the opposing team's best forwards. So you're going to see Miller play a whole lot at five on five, and you're going to see him play a whole lot on the penalty kill. So he's already getting over 23 minutes a night. I, I think from Gallant's perspective, 
he'd rather put Jones out there because Jones is going to be paying way less than that in those other situations. And Jones is a guy that maybe you could build a little confidence with. And you know, if there's one thing that he can do better than Miller, it's probably pass the puck. Miller's, I think, better in pretty much every other facet of the game. But Jones is such a good passer that I think you, you can justify putting him on that power play unit instead of Miller. All right. Final question here comes from Dan, the sports fan, who wrote, only 13.37 time on ice for Kako in opening night, even with being down a forward. Between that and Gallant scratching him in Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Final and giving no explanation for it when Strom could barely move, are there concerns he won't ever give him a, fully give him a chance to develop? Dan, I have to tell you, you guys know I was critical of Gallant for scratching Kako in Game 6. I thought that was a big mistake. And I thought it raised legitimate questions about how they were handling Kako. But... I, I think you're way off base here as far as this comment is concerned. There, there's a few things I'll say. Number one, he played over 13 minutes when the whole game, not the whole game, but a lot of the game was spent on special teams. There was a total of 10 penalties between the two teams. And while Kako, I think, is going to work his way potentially into the penalty-killing mix this season, when they have both Carpenter and VC in the lineup, they're going to go with those guys over Kako. So Kako is not going to be used much on the penalty kill right now. And you know, we just talked about with the power play units, power play one gets three quarters of the ice time on the power play. With Kako being on the second unit, he's not going to see much power play time either. So because so much of that game was played on special teams, that I believe is the biggest reason that you saw Kako's ice time not that high. Although 13, 13 and a half minutes isn't egregious. That's not a a terrible amount of ice time, but you'd like to see him get a little bit more. And I think when they're playing more of the game at five on five, you will. And the evidence of that is clear. He's playing them on the top line right now. Kako was the best right winger in camp for the Rangers and Gallant rewarded him by putting him on the top line. He earned that spot. And everything that I'm seeing and hearing right now is pointing in the direction of them giving that line an extended opportunity to gel and ride and see what they could do. I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm working on a story right now about the way that Kreider and Zabanajad are working with Kako, trying to make that line click and trying to help him develop. I think Kako was very impressive during camp. You can look at those last two preseason games. He had three goals between the last two games. To me, he looks like a guy who's poised to take a big step forward this season And them playing him on the top line, I think, is giving him a chance to develop. I think is giving him an opportunity that he's earned. So I'm not going to be critical of the way they're using Kako right now. I think he's in the right spot. He should be on that top line. And and you're glad to see that he's getting that opportunity. So I think in this case, Dan, while I would have probably been more on the same page with you a few months ago, I think right now... Nobody, including Kako, is upset about the way that he's being handled. It seems like he's right where he's supposed to be. And again, when he's on the top line, I don't think there's too much to complain about. So with that, we are going to end this week's episode. I did see one quick question that I'll address here just before we close it out. Monty Capuletti wrote, wants to know, can, can Brennan Othman rejoin the team when his season in Flint ends? Really quickly on this, the answer is yes, he can. But do I think the Rangers will do that? Probably not. I mean, if they get to the trade deadline and they don't have enough cap space to go out and get somebody and they really feel like they need to infuse their top nine, I guess we can't completely rule it out. But if you don't activate him until after his season in Flint is done, which could be like right around the time the NHL playoffs are starting or at the very end of the NHL regular season, you're burning a full year of his entry-level contract for what amounts to, I don't know, a handful of games potentially. So I don't think that would be the most prudent thing for the Rangers to do. I think at this point, the plan is fully to wait until next season and then start his entry-level contract. So you get three full years of Othman beginning next season as opposed to a small portion of this season and then only two seasons after that. So really quickly, I did see that, that question 
from Monty on the way out and wanted to address it. So now, for real this time, with that, we're going to end the podcast. I appreciate everybody for listening. Big thanks to Jeff Merrick for coming on the show. Definitely we'll have him back sometime in the future. Really quick heads up for you guys. I will not be with the team this weekend. They're going to Minnesota and Winnipeg. This always seems to happen to me at some point during the season. This year it's happening right off the bat. Good friend of mine who asked me to be a groomsman in his wedding is getting married in North Carolina this weekend. So I will not be traveling with the team. I will be with a bunch of my college buddies having a good time taking the weekend off. But then I'll be back on Monday when they have a game against the Ducks fully ready to go. And we'll be rolling from there. I'm already all booked for the next road trip, which is later this month. We'll be going to Dallas and Arizona. So quick heads up that I won't be with the team over the weekend. I will be covering... Thursday's game against the Wild remotely, but Friday's game against Winnipeg, we have the rehearsal dinner that night. So I'll be kind of off the grid for that game against the Jets. But either way, when I hear things, when I find things out, I'll keep you guys posted. And I do have a few more stories planned for the rest of the week. So I will have some content coming your way for sure. Until then, I will be back with another episode of the podcast next week. I hope you guys enjoy these games. The regular season is here. They're going to come rapidly. we got 81 more of these to go. It's going to be a fun ride. Looking forward to it and looking forward to talking about it with you guys. But for now, I'm out. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.